Hi guys, welcome back. I am super excited because I am going to start doing this little ritual from now on where I'm gonna, every Friday, tell you guys my Friday favorites from that week and they might just be repeats for months because I'm not lying when I love skincare I absolutely love it and I ended up ended up using it for like months and months so um just to get started uh before any of that I wanted to actually mention to everybody that I will be hosting a wonderful masterclass with the iconic and absolutely brilliant Jen Marini. Um, she is just truly the epitome of a skin health expert and a true visionary and a teacher and just I can't wait to have her on so basically we're going to be doing a five-part masterclass with Jan and she's going to be walking all of us through the most common pathologies that we all experience with skin and skin health like for example the first episode is going to be focused on acne and Jan is going to really break it down so that's so much easier for everyone to understand and then also you know when we understand things we're able to really uh find the solution to the to that problem so I hope you guys tune in for every single one of those episodes they're gonna be amazing um and i'm super excited for our first masterclass with someone so so wonderful um but going back to the product so my go-to serum right now which all of you already know is lulav hands down um my entire team here at skin care anarchy we're all obsessed with lulav we're all using it we actually share stories of progress um and you know the testimonials range from things like oh you know it just makes my skin so much smoother and my makeup goes on better all the way to wow you know it really got rid of my hyperpigmentation after just two weeks of using it and that's genuinely the feedback that we're all giving each other constantly about the serum and you know i don't know about you guys but results really do speak for themselves um especially in an industry where things are so experimental sometimes and you know you know the whole jazz you guys but yeah lulav is a really phenomenal product um the second step that i use after lulav is another a uh, big favorite of mine. Um, this product, like I've been really into these multi-use products because they're just so much better and I find them to be just way more nourishing for my skin. So the second product is called Subzi and it's by the brand Supper Club Skin Care. Now I also featured um, that brand recently on our Instagram and you guys, it's phenomenal. The founder Ziad has this amazing vision with Subzi where again, just like Love, it's like a small batch um, you know, preparation of the of the actual product and um, Subzi actually literally translates into greens. Um, so you know what Ziad has done here is take the most nutrient rich botanicals and herbs and just all the amazing things that come from that region of the world. Um, you know where he's originally from, which is um, around the Middle East region, around the same area. Really, what I was mentioning to you guys about love, where you know the soil is just very fertile and you have a lot of greenery and a lot of amazing plants and so um what Ziad did is just he created this beautiful you know mixture of um an oil-based product and so um after I put on my Lulav serum I usually take like about three drops of sub -Z and I rub it between my hands at night and then you know I just stand there for a minute not gonna lie and I inhale and it just feels so 
relaxing. So um, after recentering, I just pat it into my skin and I don't even need a moisturizer. I go straight to bed and I wake up with the kind of skin I want, which is soft. It's, um, you know, it's plumped up. I can put on makeup if I want, leave it off if I want, just go with the sunscreen. You know, it's just, it's great. It's been working so well for me. So right now, if I could really recommend like two hallmark skincare products to you guys, it would definitely be this serum and oil combo, which is just out of this world amazing now the last brand i want to mention is the heart company and their phenomenal fragrances i recently hosted them on the show i'm sure a lot of you caught caught that episode but this is such a unique brand you guys they are um basically providing you know the beauty community with these just top of the line fragrances that have been crafted in the most you know the best of the best fragrance houses of Europe. And, you know, no no stone left unturned when it came to creating these fragrances. They're very light. They're very layerable. Um, you know, there's they're named after emotions. So it's just such, it's, it's a very cool experience when you're using the products because, you know, if you, you pick up the bottle of Positivity, which is my favorite scent, and you're just, you know, like subconsciously, you just have it in your hand. It really does, like light up your day <laughs> it really does i'm not even lying um another one's called happiness and it's just like you know it's such a cool way to like remind yourself throughout the day like you know just smile a little bit be a little bit more positive and i don't know i just i love it i love the whole concept of the brand and the bottom line is quality speaks and this is literally one of the most quality fragrance lines i've ever tried so definitely check them out their storefront is on amazon beauty so if you go onto amazon and type in the heart company fragrances they'll pop right up and you can go to their amazon store and shop all of the different scents um i really highly recommend start off with positivity um also happiness is amazing and me time is like a must-have for unwinding at night and just getting ready to journal or like you know just unwind from the day so i hope you guys like my suggestions for this friday and i will be back next week with some more but stay tuned for this episode it's a really good one and i hope you guys love it thanks guys Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. Today is a very, very, very special I am so thrilled and very starstruck and extremely excited. All the positive words I can come up with. Um, so without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to the one and only editor-in-chief of Allure magazine, Jessica Cruel. Welcome to the show, Jess. I'm so excited you're here. Oh, thank you so much. The fact that you're starstruck over allure means that we're automatically going to get along. <laughs> oh my God. Spirits. <laughs> if anyone isn't starstruck over allure, I just, I don't get it. I, I, I can't relate. So, I mean, I'm a huge fan and I'm uh, so excited to talk to you because obviously, you know, you are really at the helm of this and I, and I can't wait to hear about your career and your, you know, all of the experience that's led up to this. I know that you had mentioned before the episode started that um, your six month anniversary is coming up uh, with the magazine. So I I would love for you to get started um, for us and tell us everything in your career that led up to this. Yeah, so six months as editor-in-chief, but I was with the brand a little bit actually before I started as editor-in-chief. Um, oh, no. Hello, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. Did I cut out? 
Yeah, you cut out just a little bit. Sorry. My apologies. I'll fix, I'll fix that. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was at um, Allure a little bit before I started as editor-in-chief as the content director and then the features director. But I started my career doing a lot of internships, um, you know, working yeah. beauty closets at Self and Essence magazines, and also working for websites, local places. Uh, I think I did a total of six internships before I got my first full-time paying job with benefits. Uh, so I learned a lot during that time. I started my career as, uh, at, excuse me, I started my career as an editorial assistant at Pop Sugar, which was a really great experience because it's a small shop. So it was a very much so startup type environment, which means I got to do so many different things. And I had a really great editor there that really helped me hone my writing style. And from there, I went to Self Magazine. So it's another Condé Nast publication. Yeah. Worked there as a beauty editor and really honed into my fact-checking and reporting skills, you know, because Self really has a strong health background and, and wellness um, been to it. And then I went to Refinery for about a, a year and a half where I always tell people I work with people who are far cooler than I was. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to tell Simone Oliver that I just had her on the show. <laughs> yes, yes. Simone and I, um, we didn't work there at the same time, but I'm very familiar with Simone's work. Love her. And it was just a really great experience to learn how to mentor people. I, I managed a team there or part of a team there. And also being with the cool kids was a lot of fun. It was another smaller operation. And then I came to Allure. And I did the features director job, the content director job. And then six months ago, I was promoted to editor-in-chief. Wow. I mean, I, I loved it. Like, you know, every time I do an editorial um, interview, just I, I'm always so blown away because it's like the amount of internships and the amount of hustle it takes to get all of the experience is just, it's beyond me. Like it, it blows my mind, you know? So like when you say things like I did six internships and I, you know, like I went through all this and I learned all the angles, like that's phenomenal to me. Um, and I actually, you know, would love for you if possible to give like any pointers to like budding writers, because I know it's very hard to find your style as I'm sure like, you know, most writers and journalists know, like it's, it's a very hard journey. So like, especially with beauty editorial, like how was that for you? Like that whole um, process of finding your style and finding out like how you wanted to approach the editorial aspect um, in this, in the space. Yeah. All the internships back then it was very common, but, and, Back then, internships were unpaid also, I want to mention. So things have definitely changed a lot for the better since I had all those internships. But each internship taught me something new. My first internship was at a small local um, Atlanta magazine, magazine called Skirt Magazine. And I'm, oh. from Georgia. I'm from Georgia. So it was like, I stayed at my uncle's house all summer and I commuted to downtown Atlanta for this local magazine. And funny enough, my first celebrity interview was Janelle Monet because Janelle Monet was really in the underground Atlanta college scene performing. And yeah. I'll never forget that. And then I interviewed her again a, a few years later when she got like a cover girl contract. But working with these editors in my internships is, is how I really started to learn how to write. I actually went to school for journalism, um, wow. multimedia journalism, which included like coding websites. And I remember I had to shoot a mini documentary 
So I, I was like lugging a camera around and I was in the J school basement late at night using Final Cut Pro to edit video. But obviously I don't do any of that now. <laughs> um, it all bubbles up to what I do. Ready, you know, your allure is like all set to go in case we need to like bring in last minute video editing. <laughs> hey, I'll be like, I'll dust off my Final Cut Pro skills. I'll be like, okay, this button, maybe we'll break the whole thing, but I will try it. Hey, you know. I, yeah, so writing, having great editors, right? A lot of people are able to hone their style and, and this happened for me by just people paying attention. I, my first editor at Pop Sugar, Annie Tomlin, I always tell the story that even, on, even though we work for a website, she took the time to print out my stories and mark them up with like red pen. And oh, wow. that was so helpful because when we do the print magazine, we do that sort of process. Like three people read the story before it, well, it's more like six people read the story, but so many people read the story before it goes out in our print magazine. And as the story morphs, that original writer is able to see how their story can change for the better. And then yeah. they start better next time. And I think that's the sort of thing that even though web is a much quicker pace, it's something that, I hope that we can maintain, maybe not for every story, but for some of the bigger stories so that people can learn to find their style. Yeah, no, I think this is such an interesting point you bring up because no joke, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's like way more, you know, complicated on the on the editorial side because you guys are always dealing with like, you know, articles and writing and stuff. But I just know from my end, like, uh, you know, when my PI is like for research, right, like they would start editing things instead of paper, they would start using like computers, like yeah. Word and like track changes and stuff. And I was like, yo, I don't even know what you changed. Like, I don't know, you know, I was, I was so lost, like just as a student. So I can imagine like, there's so many hurdles that come with this, like, I guess, like you were explaining, like that visual aspect of like really seeing a story mold into what it's supposed to be. I mean, that's a, that's a really brilliant point that you brought up. Um, and it just makes me misprint even more, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a craft. I think, yeah. The thing that I, Allure is actually one of the first places I worked that had a print publication or the first place I worked that had a print publication and being able to really hone the craft of it because I spent the majority of my career in digital and seeing how, you know, right now it's March, but we're working on our June, July and August issues. You know, I just had a meeting this morning about August and that means we're going to take our time and really think about what's right and the right people to talk to and things like that. And so that's something that I think is very rare in this digital age and something that's so important to protect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that shows very easily too with Allure because honestly, you know, um, just as a consumer, just I can honestly say like, you know, I, I was telling everybody before the show, like I still have, I, I get the print magazine and I absolutely love it and I dive into it. And it's just like it was, you know, when I was a teenager with any other uh, print publication, but then also with Allure's digital content, I find it to be so much easier to navigate. Like no joke, because it's like the stories are to the point and they're, digestible you know like it's not like okay well I've got 15 dermatologists like referenced here you know and it's like I don't know what the you know like, it's never that like haziness if, if you know what I mean like in terms of like understanding as a consumer like what is the real reporting happening here so I think Allure is like you know um 
you run a tight ship, you know, you, you run a really, really nice, you know, tight ship there because you guys are doing like really great work. Like it's, it's wonderful. And the, like the way every article is presented. Thank you. I am just trying to keep the tradition alive. Uh, there are a lot of people that help me keep the ship tight and they, they, they are amazing at their job. I, I will say we have a team of journalists that know the beauty industry in and out and have been working in it for 30 years, some of them. And that's what makes Allure great. I, you know, I love that. And honestly, you know, uh, Jessica, I was so excited to, uh, for this interview also, because I noticed, uh, I was talking to, I messaged uh, Diana Mazone, um, because she was one of the first editors that agreed to come onto the show. And um, back then, you know, I, that was huge for me, because I'd never spoken to an Allure editor. And I, um, I saw her recent piece on like, um, on Deepika Padukone, who's the Bollywood uh actress mm -hmm. and i was like of course allure would cover this you know and i like i remember like being an indian american woman and, and like sitting there and like seeing this feature and like i love her you know like i really enjoy her movies and i i've watched like every bollywood film and to see her in a mainstream u.s beauty magazine you know i mean d beauty magazine right like it, it was huge for me as an indian american woman and i would i even like messaged diana and i was like i love you guys i love allure like you guys just you get it you know like it's it's the team and and the people that work there it's like you guys are actively looking for innovative ways to bring in more culture more diversity more inclusivity you know what i mean it just it shows like the extra mile that your journalists go you know to really kind of connect with their audience it really really shows i really appreciate that and really the goal that i had when i started this job you know as a black woman is to make sure that people who have in the past been considered others right people yeah. who are of color people who have more melanin are seeing themselves and having that same experience that you had by being able to say, oh my goodness, this is someone that I have always loved, always followed, and their story, which is similar to my story, is being told at this large platform. And I think the other thing that makes this issue that you're speaking about, which is our global beauty issue, so yeah. special is that Deepika is surrounded by other content that features South Asian culture. So we did a story going to in deep into coal and the history of it and you know the religious significance of it. We went deep into, um, we talked to Teresa Chandran who's in the new season of Bridgerton. So yeah. she is yeah. an immigrant in London and we got to talk to her about how she maintains her Indian culture in London because there's a great Indian community there. And yeah. so to me, it's about not only covering these people, but not making it a one-off thing, saying, how can we surround these stories with other stories that make a person feel wholly seen and yes. not tokenized in any way? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love you for saying that. Like, I, I really love that you brought that because here's the thing, you know, I'm going to be very blunt and honest. I always am, but like for everyone listening, like, like, you know, I love, I, I, I love my culture, like my, you know, well, I guess my culture is both cultures, right? American and uh, Indian culture. But like, I, I grew up in Indian culture at home. And so I watched, like I said, all those Bollywood movies. And I remember growing up in America and I would relate to like certain, you know, just certain actresses or, you know, models or whoever you really look up to. And I used to always think like every time they come over into the Western publication world and into the Western features, it's so different. 
right? It's almost like you can't relate with them anymore. And like, I, you know, that I don't want to keep like harping on this, but when I saw that post about Deepika, I was so excited because it felt like it was still her. And I felt like I still connected with her, but here she is in a very familiar space for me as a consumer, because I'm a, you know, I'm a regular reader of Allure. And to see her face there, it felt like, oh my gosh, yeah, I fit in. You know what I mean? Like, like for the first time, like I feel represented. I feel like, yeah, like it felt like home, you know? And so that feeling is very, very hard to like, you know, not only produce, but reproduce or, and make that happen. So I really commend your whole team. Like it's, it means a lot to us. Like I know as for me, as an Indian American woman, that means a lot like that moment. So it's phenomenal. I'm glad. And, and part of that, part of what allows us to do that is signing on the right people behind the scenes too, not only on our staff, right. But yeah. In addition, the writers that we work with, you know, we got a chance to work with so many um, international writers for this issue and the makeup artists on set and the photographers like that also contributes to the telling of that story. Deepika was shot in Mumbai. So yeah. that lends, you know, make sure that we are maintaining that important piece of the Indian culture when we do things like this. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I actually want to, I want to talk to you about culture a little bit more because I think like you're literally the perfect person for this conversation. Um, I, I, you know, lately I've been hearing a lot about how, you know, it's not so much like cultural appropriation anymore, if you know what I mean, like the buzzwords. Now, like I'm hearing from just our listeners or anyone who like chimes in, it's like, well, my culture is there, but I just feel like it's just another foreign, you know, like they, people aren't relating to what they're seeing. Like, I, let me give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine. She is Latin, you know, she's a Latin uh, American woman. And she was speaking just about, you know, how just Latin beauty and, you know, everything is like portrayed these days. And she said, I don't even feel like I know what Latin beauty is, you know, like she was like, she was like, I don't even feel like I belong in that, like that niche of beauty. And I, this brings me back to a conversation I was having um, with Sherry Javer about the whole like Indian beauty movement thing, because a lot of brands, especially in skincare, I'm sure, you know, you of all people have noticed there's a lot of like uh, Indian American founders now, you know, that are coming up with these Ayurvedic based brands or, you know, uh, Eastern philosophy, right. to like skin health. And I just, I just wonder because it's like, you know, we have these movements that are so uh, founded on like cultural awareness, but then somehow they always get twisted into like, I guess, cultural appropriation. Like, what is your, what's your view on that? Like overall, as, as you know, someone so high up in the editorial world and who's probably seen this, like, you know, time and time again, like, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that? I think what happens oftentimes is you have the beauty culture that we experience at home, right? Yeah. For me as a black woman, that's, you know, my mom putting out the, the hot comb on, on Saturday nights and like frying the mess out of my hair in the kitchen, right? That's something that a lot of other black women can relate to. But yeah. when you take that same story and try to tell it to an audience that is large and more diverse, right? Or even an audience that is majority white, for example, yeah. it's oftentimes translated or transcribed in a way that is then explained to death, right? It's then watered down a little bit and it's like, well, now it's not the same. And I think sometimes that happens for a lot of different reasons, right? Yeah. You want the person to get a sense, to understand, right? There are some 
terms that are very much so indicative to that original community that that other new group that is now hearing about it won't understand. Right. And right. So get like, okay, well now we need to change this word. We need to change like, now we need to describe what a hot comb is. It's like, what? what? Now we have to describe what a hot comb is? Yeah. Lost yeah. every black person once we got to that, you know, once we added that, every black person stopped reading, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I think it's about these this give and take of how much do we share our cultural stories Yeah. as education also. You know, that's something I think a lot about when we created a platform called the Melanin Edit, which yeah. we launched last year in April, it's kind of a destination for those of highly melanated skin. So black women, but also Latinx women and South Asian women who have darker skin tones, just, you know, every community you think experiences colorism. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to really create a place where we we didn't have to do that, where we don't have to do any explaining, you know? When we say TWA, we trust you know what it is. We trust that you have the language and we're all speaking the same language because we all have similar experiences when it comes to this otherness and right. finding the unity in that. And I think that's what we have to do more of is we have to really take ourselves, you know, take ourselves into a specific place and say, this story is for the audience we want to reach. And so therefore we're going to make it for them, buy them. We're going to go into the actual kitchens and have someone who's from that culture photograph it. So it feels not watered down. Right. Right. Now, one thing you had mentioned earlier was about like, you know, who you're putting behind the scenes of these stories, right? Like who are the writers, who are the journalists? And, and you were mentioning how you have to be, you know, very particular about that. So I would love to hear your um, personal theory and process that you go through when you're um, looking for the right journalist for a piece or, you know, um, how, how you go about that, because I'm sure that's difficult to find the perfect writer for an idea or, you know, a topic. Oftentimes, you know, we were very fortunate to have a lot of people pitch their ideas to us. So sometimes an idea comes to us versus us hunting. But other times we have ideas and we say, well, one, who's the expert? Yeah. Who's the person, the writer who's going to have that expertise or at least know the right experts so that we get the facts that we need? Because the thing that is true of Allure is that we're one beauty publication, one of the very few that still have a very thorough fact-checking team that go through um, some of our meteor stories and make sure that we are telling the truth and that everything is accurate. You're right, right. Thing I ask myself oftentimes and something that's so important in this age is voice. Yeah, yeah. No, voice is everything. I mean, it's like the right voice too, you know? Like the right voices. (laughs) We have a There's, I think you're about to say there's so many voices out there that you want to get ones that are credible, but also interesting to read. You know, I think someone who has someone to something to say that's different than what's out there is really important. And someone who's going to weave a tale that's entertaining to read, because what we do is still entertainment on some level. It's informational, but it's also entertaining. No, it's it's more magazine. Well, here's the thing. It's more than entertaining. And honestly, going back to the hot comb reference, I actually want to tell you this because it's so relevant to this. And I, it's actually interesting because I just remembered this happened. I was, um, I remember like, you know, early on when I had met my fiance's daughter, like 
she, you know, she's half African-American, half um, Latin and she, or half Puerto Rican, I should say. And her hair was something like as a young woman, like she didn't understand, you know, cause she had curly hair, but it was always getting that frizz. And it was like, you know, she was self-conscious about it. And I remember like, you know, her and I having this conversation about like, well, how should I brush my hair? And I remember immediately going on to Allure and being like, I literally typed into Google, Allure, best hairbrushes for curly hair, you know, for like, like something, I, I typed something like buzzwords, right? And immediately I found an article that was like, the, like it had like three or four different uh, brush types and I looked them up and I ended up ordering one and ended up being phenomenal. Like it changed her the whole way she did her hair. And it blew my mind because I was like, how, how are people just, you know, so lost in such a vast industry that has so many products, but you know, they don't even know where to go and like find these products. So that's something I'm very curious about Um, in terms of like, these because something like a, the right hairbrush for a specific type of hair that's huge that's more than just a beauty product that's a cultural product and so you know that and being able to deliver those options and those like um you know just suggestions to consumers like i mean that that's huge so i i just want to you know i i want your take on that like what is what is that balance and and what is the research behind that that goes into like uh, coming up with the suggestions that allure puts out Yes, we have a whole team of people whose job it is to, well, essentially our entire team's job is to try products. You know, we yeah. are market editors at heart and we have Best of Beauty, which is one of our giant temples. The Red Seal is on you know, hundreds of products out there. And I think people don't believe me when I say like, we try thousands of products, not only throughout the year, but in the Best of Beauty time period. And so when we are giving a person a recommendation like the one you just mentioned, best hairbrush for curly hair, yeah. it's because myself, I have curly hair, curly, coily hair. Jihan Forbes on our team has curly, coily hair. You know, we have another editor who has, like we have about four editors who have curly hair. That's our squad of people trying brushes. And not <laughs> to mention, it's our job to try brushes. So we get brushes sent to us. I think I about, have about five brushes in my rotation just right now that I use on my hair. And so right. if someone's doing a, that brush story, they'll usually slack that group of people and say, hey, what are the brushes that you love? I'm like, oh, this one, because this, this, this. Oh, and I've been, I use this one for that, that, that. And that's how you get that story. And it's basically like a group chat for people who were just really in tune with what's hot that's coming out, but also things that have been out for a while. I mean, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you, you know, you guys are so like, it's almost like it's a huge team, but it's like, so you guys are close knit and well organized. So, you know, exactly who needs to try what I like that. I like, you know, it's like a safety blanket for me as a consumer to know, uh, to know that's the process. Um, you know, I, and I'm, I'm actually curious because, you know, with magazines and publications like, you know, Allure and even self and, you know, some of the other magazines you had mentioned in terms of your prior experience, um, refinery, like th these, these publications, I think, um, they, they become so well-rounded because there's this really nice 
blending of like pop culture and like beauty and fashion and it's like almost like a seamless thing right I mean it's like it it all blends together very easily for a consumer to like really pick up on like maybe five different products that are from like different industries you could say and I don't see a lot of publications able to do that it's either like you know fashion or beauty or you know whatever right so like what is um I I want to ask you like what are some of the challenges of that like in terms of tying in like you know other I guess industries into a conversation maybe there's an article you know about one thing but you really want to tie in like a pop culture uh you know trend that's going on at the time like how does that work in terms of just putting that together well a part of our editor's jobs is staying on the pulse of things just in general but one thing that I often task my staff um with keeping an eye on are the passions that they have outside of work and how those connect to beauty. So we talk a lot about what I like to call micro communities. And these communities are more coming together over a shared interest. So I think of a group of people like people who love anime, right? Right. That's a group of very devoted people who love anime. And as someone who used to draw anime back in high school, (laughs) I understand um, that kind of group of people And so I think those people also love beauty. So what kind of beauty would they like? And so that's how you get a story that's super well-rounded. Some other communities we talk about are people who love video games. People who drag, like- I am am gamer chick number one, I'm telling you, I love video games. So yeah, totally relate. (laughs) Right, so you like video games and you like beauty and there's a particular type of beauty that might appeal. There's a particular type of, uh, pop culture reference or or influencers that might appeal to someone like you who yeah. likes video games but also likes beauty. So when we think about creating this content in a holistic 360 way, we think a lot about these micro communities and how we can serve them, but also how we can engage with them, right? Because you know, video gamers, you know, I don't know if you're on Twitch or not, but they're very they're always commenting, they're always liking, yeah. they're always conversing in side groups. And that's one thing that's super powerful right now. I always say like the Facebook group is back in. It's just yeah. going to other platforms. And that is how this new digital culture and social media culture moves. That is so interesting that you brought that up, actually. Like, I feel like you're the first like editorial guest I've had that's actually acknowledged that is this like these small, like little areas or pockets of like the beauty consumer community you know what I mean like that's like like the gamer chicks or the girls who love chess or you know whatever you know whatever your cup of tea is but that's really interesting because there was a brand I don't remember the founder but she was like really big on Twitch like a streamer you know like a um she was a streamer for I think an MMO game and she was finding this beauty brand and I remember um reaching out to her like you know how you send over like I sent like a cold pitch you know just trying to get her on the show and I found myself so confused on how to approach this woman (laughs) even though I'm also a gamer because it it was now in this realm of like beauty right it was like it wasn't just about like oh I'm reaching out to another gamer it was about like okay now I'm reaching out to a gamer who has a beauty brand so it's like have you ever been in those situations where you're like you're interviewing somebody or you're you know you're profiling somebody that's like I don't know. It's, just, it's very hard to kind of get into their person and just figure out like, what is the essence of what they're trying to create? Like, what is, how is that? Cause I am, I, I can imagine how difficult that would be. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that question? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I 
I can, I'm very like scatterbrained sometimes, so I apologize. <laughs> but um, my, my question was basically, um, you know, when you have like, for example, um, you know, a celebrity or a guest or a founder that you really want to feature, you know, and they are um, maybe known for one thing. So the example I gave was this yeah. individual was a gamer, right? But she's not like, but now she has a beauty brand. So it's like two opposite things almost, right? Because you think of gaming, you think of guys and you know like call of duty and like shooting and stuff but then you think of like beauty and it's more delicate and stuff so how do you approach like founders or 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 personalities that are like in different areas or industries and like trying to find what their vision for beauty is you know see what i'm saying like like yeah well i think first of all that twitch one is a perfect example because i think the beautiful thing about allure is that we have very a lot of different platforms most brands do we have a print publication, we have a website, we have social media on all those social media platforms. We also have a, a box, a subscription box, and we have a store. And so one thing, whenever we think about talent or someone or a beauty brand or any person we're going to cover on Allure, we think about where's the best place to cover them. Yeah. If you were getting that Twitch founder, the best place to do something with them is on Twitch, where they're native, where they're well-known, where that audience is going to recognize them. And so we think a lot about not necessarily the content of it all, right? Because content is still the same in the sense of why did you find your founder brand? What are you hoping for beauty? What's different your differentiates your products, things like that. But right. the platform might be the thing that's changing. And the format of how we speak to them might change to fit that platform. And I think that's so important in this day and age when you have so many places to consume content and everyone has a different perspective on what's most native to them, right? Most people read their phones. They read stories on their phones. So when we look at our website design, we're like, well, what is it going to look like on the phone? <laughs> because everyone reads on their phone. Uh, so some things that we we definitely think about. Yeah, and that makes sense. Thank you for answering that. I know it was kind of like a convoluted question, but I, yeah, it makes sense. It makes total sense what you're saying. It's like, you know, it's like a, a game, basketball game or a football game. You know, you go to the, it, people are more comfortable when they're, you know, at home in their home state. It makes sense, you know, you, and I and I like that that's something that Allure is, you know, really mindful of. I think that that's very important in good journalism is to make sure that the person you're reporting on is comfortable and actually tells you the truth. Because I'm not going to lie, you know, honestly, Jessica, I, I look at some of these, like, articles that come out, nothing by Allure, by the way, nothing refinery or any of these great publications, but some, some articles I read and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I like, is this made up? You know what I mean? Like, I just get so like, I get so confused because I'm like, it just sounds so outlandish or it just doesn't, it's so hard to relate to. So, you know, it it makes me wonder like how relevant are magazines at this point? But then like, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say is there's like a whole group of magazines that I feel like are not reporting the right way, but then there's like four or five of you guys that are doing it perfectly. So how is that whole scene right now in the editorial world? Like, you know, you're you're at the head of the top beauty publication, you know, in, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of, so, so how is that in terms of the pressure, in terms of the, you know, like making sure that you're really at the cutting edge of reporting the, the most latest things? Like what's that whole experience like for you, like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, this world moves fast. That's the yeah. thing that is hard. And I think with the rise of TikTok, it's something we talk a lot about a lot is there's so much misinformation out there because yeah. this younger generation doesn't know who's an expert and who's not. 
they can't look at someone and say, oh, this person's a dermatologist and went to school. So therefore I could probably believe what they say, but this person is just someone who started a blog about skincare two years ago and maybe doesn't have like any official information to be giving me facts. And things go viral that are wrong. And so I think Allure's place is always that being that person who's like, hey, you know, we talked to the dermatologist and translation, you know, we're going to translate this for you. And here's what you need to know to be, you know, as safe as you can, but also just as factual as you can. And there's always going to be a role for that because the more and more, I mean, not to get too political, but the climate for journalism right now is just so everyone is creating content that no one is betting, right? That there's yeah. no, and it's not necessarily, it's not even, I'm not saying it's even from journalists. I'm saying it's from, you know, Jamila down the street, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> like anyone I'm, creating content I'm, and people taking this. Podcasts, podcasts, Jessica, like, honestly, like it's, there's some podcasts that I listen to where I'm like, what the hell are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Like, that's not even real. So yeah, I, I hear you. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. So really just wanting to figure out um, the right way to still do the same thing that we've always done. Give people really great information that is vetted and factual and, you know, dermatologists approved and things like that. And being that translator for every community so that there's no fear mongering, there's no misinformation, you know, we're all about debunking the BS. Right. And so how is, how has that been in terms of like taking a more like science and fact-based route in the beauty reporting that you guys do? Like, how has that been for the magazine overall? Because I feel like it would be for me for skincare anarchy, I can honestly tell you, which is like on a way smaller scale, you know what I mean? It's just trying to report just science and facts. Like, you know, even when I just do it with skincare, I get a lot of people who send me like you know, they'll, they'll try to rebuttal what I said, and then I have to send them like a publication, you know, or like citation or like a reference or something. And it's like, no, I do know what I'm talking about. So how is that? Like in terms of uh, really kind of, I, I don't know, I guess delivering that much, that kind of information um, when nobody else was really doing it, because I feel like the, the bandwagon of let's talk about the science of beauty. It just now started with a lot of different publications. Whereas I know Allure has been like ahead of the game with that for a long time. Us being ahead of the game has really helped us. Uh, We have built an amazing community of cosmetic chemists, dermatologists, uh, experts in general in this industry, R&D experts at different companies that help us to make sure that we're getting information from several different sources, you know, just classic journalism things that we uphold, like talking to multiple sources and talking to doctors and fact-checking, like we mentioned before. Those things help us, similar to yourself, always have that, well, you know, this is coming from this study and so and so and so. We also try to be very honest about things that aren't fully developed. Sometimes we get the information and, you know, we want to cover it and we say, this is going to be developing right now. There's not a lot of information, but we thought that, you know, the little bit that we had was important for to give you now. So it's about being flexible in the sense of, as I said, this world moves so fast that sometimes things get, get ahead 
of the game before the science is even out there. So it's about having an amazing team of not only editors, but also professionals and experts in this industry that we have on speed dial um, that help us make sure that we're getting all the stuff right. Even the FDA, right? We talk to them pretty often. Yeah. No, the FDA is huge. I remember I interviewed a brand and I brought up the FDA and their PR company like freaked out and was like, Ecto, we can't publish this. You said something about the FDA. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't say anything bad. So uh, hopefully, you know, it's not like that when you mentioned the FDA, because I, I, I don't know what the whole deal with that was. But, you know, that's great that you guys actually talked to the FDA. That's a really great thing. I love that. I don't know why, like, skincare companies and brands are not so very, much very open from what I've seen in terms of, like, involving the FDA and really getting things, like, I guess, like, officially cleared, right? Like, in terms of well, just in health products. Legally, they don't have to. The FDA um, is not in charge of vetting any cosmetics and cosmetic products. The only products that they have any say over are sunscreens. So therefore it's just not required. There's no requirement. And so that's something that I, I, I believe there's still California legislation out trying to change that in California, but that's a legal thing that has to change within our country to have these things more vetted. There are a lot of terms and things that are used in this industry that are just marketing, right? Things right. like natural, things like green. Organic. Those, <laughs> organic. Those are things that don't have any official third-party organization um, vetting those claims. And so will that change? I hope so. I hope yeah. it does. But until then, we just have to trust that brands will do the right thing. And when they don't, I think we have journalists like ourselves and, and those at other publications who are able to clear up some of the murkiness. Right. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. And you're right. It's. I think it's definitely like, it's going to take a movement. And I'm just, you know, I'm very thankful as a consumer that you guys, you know, I, Allure is here to stay true to this idea of just good reporting and really putting products out there that work. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, again, like I can't say this enough, how many times I've gone onto the website and, you know, found like a, a group of products. Cause you guys do those, um, you know, these are the top 10 lipsticks for spring. And I, swear those emails that come through I end up finding something in every email so you know it's just something I've started to like rely on so I'm really really thankful that you know you your whole team does things so well and and so thoroughly um one question though you know I really wanted to uh, bring up to you because this is something I'm very curious about after I've uh, started this podcast um, is this idea of trends. Now, like I know that in the beauty industry, a lot of the trends that take off, at least from what I've noticed, are really geared towards Caucasian women. Like, for example, like a new line comes out of lipsticks or a new line comes out of blushes or whatever. And there's all these like options, right? Which we all know. But then there are also brands that I've discovered that are founded by, you know, um, Black women or Indian women or, or you know, Asian women. And these are like gems of, in terms of the, the product quality. But it's like, no one is like letting the secret out. If you, if that makes any sense, like, it's like, I don't see the same amount of like, uh, I, I guess, uh, push behind those trends as I see like some of the more, I guess, obvious ones. So how does that work? Like for, especially, you know, for you being a woman of color and being in this industry, like, you know, um, 
how do you see that? Like when, when it comes to like African-American brand founded brands or uh, people of color founded brands and why they don't come out so loud as loudly as a lot of Caucasian brands. Like how, how do you feel about all that? Well, I think there's a part of that. Well, there's two things I'm thinking about. So one thing is when we think about the mix, the ethnic mix perhaps of beauty brand founders out there, they're still at this time, a very small portion of them are of color. Yeah. So when we think about who's getting the most, who we're seeing the most, who we're, who's getting the most play, that's part of it. it there's just more of them, right? I think yeah. the other thing is access to funding, access to space on shelves and major retailers. Yes, yeah. Access yeah. to just information to get your brand off the ground. Access to PR people to get, you know, the name of your brand in front of an allure editor. Those are all things that minority founders have less of. 100%. I'm so that yes i actually have had some of those uh the, the run-ins with those entrepreneurs that are like i can't afford a pair company they're like right. 25 dollars like how the hell am i gonna you know pay my bills and have a pr company repping me and i'm like they'll come you know like in the past they've come to me like for example i'll tell you there's a there's a brand and i'm sure you've seen it jessica it's it's so good and the the young lady who founded it she just, she embarked upon it. It just, it came to her, but it's the best shea butter I've ever used. And I remember when I first came across her brand, she was a, a young African-American young lady, uh, you know, really loved her brand. It was a, it's a beautiful concept. Tallulah Skincare, by the way, everyone listening. And it's the best, I'm not joking, shea butter, uh, body butter I've ever used. It makes my skin feel like nothing else. And I kid you not, she came to me and said, Ekta, I have no one who wants to even look at my products. I can't get an editor to look at them. I can't get, you know, a PR agency to look at them because everyone wants thousands and thousands of dollars from me. And I was like, listen, you know what? From you know, I ended up featuring her and all that, but it was like I remember reaching out to a lot of like people I knew at the time, and it was very hard to get her brand in. Whereas when I'm looking at the overall scene of the beauty industry and I see a brand that just came out that's founded by, you know, I, I'm really not trying to play the race card, but it's a Caucasian woman behind it. And within three months, I see her whole, bl- her whole brand blow up. I'm sitting here as a woman of color, still thinking about my friend, you know, founder of Tulula Skincare. And I'm like, what, where is this disconnect, right? Like, where's the disconnect? Like you, like... On what basis are we deciding as publications, like who is going to be featured and why? Like, I, I love for your advice on that, like just your input. Yeah, I think at Allure, we, we do our best to get a good percentage of those indie brand founders in and their stories in. I think it's also about ac- access to who you know. Now, a lot of people say, you know, it's about who you know. And sometimes that matters about what we even see in the first place, right? It's about who you know. And then couple that with the volume of things that we're getting, sometimes those things fall to the bottom of the pile, you know? And so I think uh, there are a lot of factors at play when it comes to, you know, what brands get covered. But I do think that, especially, you know, with everything that's gone on with that 15% pledge organization and things like that, we are seeing so much movement of getting more minority brand own brands seen 
in Sephora's, in Target's, in Ulta's, but also in Allure. Yeah, but also it's like, just like who's seeing them? You're seeing them, right? Like they come across your desk, you notice them. They could come across my desk or Simone's desk. We notice them, right? Why? Why? Because we're women of color. We understand. But then they go across a desk of someone or a publication that is predominantly, I don't know, whatever race, okay? Like, I, I'm not even going to put a label on that. And they are not even looked at. That's where I get really upset, right? Because it's like, it's not even about like, because Allure's not even, I'm not thinking of Allure when, I, and when I'm citing this example, because you guys are very inclusive. And, you know, um, it, obviously, you know, you're, you're really uh, ahead of the game. But like, I get very upset because I'm like, you know, well, I don't have any answers for these young entrepreneurs who are confused about why their brand isn't featured and you know the girl next door who's just another complexion another you know shade of skin color is just succeeding at life even though her products are complete trash you know it's just it's a it's a real frustration in the entrepreneur entrepreneurial community right now so i i don't know i just wanted you know i just wanted your input on it because i think it's it's more about also the lens of the person that's in charge and if they're able to see Right. And so I, I think that's that's also something that concerns me. And that's why it's so important to have not only diverse staff and diverse editors behind the scenes, right? Yeah. yeah. It's something that is very important to me as someone who has been in rooms where I was the only person of color and the only person who's black. Yeah. I think it's really important to me that we build the Allure team to look like, sorry, that we build the Allure team to look like the world that we live in. And that right. way, like you said, I, I'm not gonna lie, when a black owned brand comes across my desk, I do, I'm like, oh, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, let me look and see. And so if we have a good diverse staff then everyone's gonna do that for their cultures, right? Everyone's gonna have that eye on that particular group because they are so proud and wanting to feature people who look like them and founders who look like them. Right, right. No, I, I agree. I agree. Of course, there's always like this, you know, subconscious uh, awareness that we have about our own races. But I, even in general, I think as educated women and just people, you know, it, it really kind of baffles me how I can speak to you and I can speak to other like-minded individuals. And, and we all agree that it's like, okay, a good product is a good product, right? At the mm -hmm. end of the day. Yeah. So you know, where, where's the, where's the hangup guys? You know what I mean? Like that's where, <laughs> that's where the conversation comes to a halt because it's like, okay, we've laid out all the logic here. Now what's the problem? You know, and that's that's where I get stuck because, I, like I said, you know, I actually I'm not gonna lie to you. I ranted the episode uh, I just published um, in the end, I kind of ranted because I was like, I look at the beauty industry and I actually shouted out Allure um, as one of like the greatest publications, obviously. But I was like, I don't get why this is still a problem. Like there are so many brands and there's space for everybody, and I don't understand what the hang up or the slow responses or you know all of that. I just don't get it. And I think it's it's unnecessary and it's almost as if we're creating glass ceilings within a bubble that's already a glass ceiling. You know what I mean? Like we're just creating more and more and 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 we keep telling minority entrepreneurs, not we like you and I, but you know what I'm saying? Like the 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 community, the culture and the you know, whoever's in charge, I guess, that they you're gonna have to work harder and you're gonna have to do more to get noticed even from the get-go. And putting that out there and putting that message out there, whether it's directly or indirectly, is hugely demotivating. 
You know what I mean? Like for a lot of entrepreneurs. And that's why it bothers me so much because it's like a lot of people don't even want to get into it because they're like, well, am I, am I even going to take off? You know? So that's why, I, that's why I brought this up, you know, cause I just, I felt comfortable talking to you about it because I, I know you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to um, actually, you know, just get your your advice for everybody that's listening, that's in journalism, that's in editorial or, you know, even an entrepreneur, you know, just advice about career, about life, anything, any nuggets of wisdom you could share with us um, that might be helpful to young professionals. Yes, I think. Find ways to pursue your passions um, in your day job. And I think that's one thing that has very much so benefited me. Even when I was, uh, you know, the minority in the groom, room, the minority in the room, being able to say, hey, I really want to do this story that my friends are going to read and they're going to love because that's what they're talking about is something yeah. that allowed me to really bring new, I think, groups of people, new audiences into the spotlight. And it's something that I've never regretted. And, and I think they're, every person that I interview, I always ask them, what's your passion? And yeah. I get some of the best answers when I ask that question. And it really tells you a lot about a person, um, about what else that they are interested in and how that might connect with beauty. So I always say, find a way to pursue your passion at work. It's not gonna be 100% of work, right? Cause work is work, but, it's gonna, it'll make it, um, it'll make it much more fun and much more rewarding in the end. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I hope everyone, I hope everyone listening, you guys should really pay attention to these kind of like words of wisdom because like you don't realize it in the moment, but then like these kind of like those words stick with you, you know? And then you you are in a situation and you're like, I remember hearing that, you know, and, and it really helps you out. And I, I, I love that. Thank you so much for, for saying that. I completely agree with you. And mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm so honored to have had this amazing opportunity to host you. I have so much respect for you, your work, and just everything that you guys are doing at Allure. It's, you know, top notch, like pristine. Like I just, I can't say enough good things. So yeah, this was such an honor, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yes.